Hello, welcome to the Capsticks podcast series in relation to the first draft of the Procurement Bill. The aim of the podcast are to highlight key points and changes that procurement professionals at contracting authorities and bidders will need to know. The legislation is still in draft form and so it might change. This podcast was recorded in May 2022 and covers the permitted modifications to procurement processes and contracts. We will run another podcast series in relation to the final version that will be enacted. We know that the government will give contracting authorities six months to prepare for the new procurement legislation to come into force. I'm Mary Mundy, a partner at Capsticks, and I'm joined by Katrina Day, a legal director. And we're going to talk about how live procurement processes and contracts can be modified according to the bill. So, Katrina, one of the key concerns for procurement practitioners, bidders and suppliers is flexibility and clarity in relation to what can be changed in a contract. Are there any game changes in this respect? Well, there are fairly significant changes in relation to modifications that will be of interest to practitioners and bidders. The good news is that there is now clarity on how a live procurement process can be modified. This isn't technically covered in the current procurement legislation, the Public Contracts Regulations or the PCR. Although in practice, we do still tend to apply Regulation 72 of the PCR. That's going to be useful. So Kat, talk us through how a live procurement process can be modified. Well, I'll cover timing first. So if you're using the open procedure, you can amend the process before the deadline for tenders. If you're using a multi-stage process, then you can amend the procedure before request to participate. That's what we currently call the SQ submission. Or if you're not using a selection stage, then again, before the tender deadline. Thanks, Kat. There is an important publication point here, which is quite significant in my view, and reflects the real push for more transparency. The bill sets out that when you make a change in these circumstances, then you have to republish your tender notice, including the changes, and republish your updated procurement documents. If there is renewed interest, then the contracting authority may need to start its timescales again, so contracting authorities are going to need to be prepared for that. Thanks, Mary. I agree. The publication requirements here will be quite a game changer and practitioners will need to carefully check the rules to ensure they meet the correct notification requirements. The other time that you can make a change in the process is where you're using a multi-stage procurement procedure. Here, you can also modify the procedure before the final tender submission deadline, but there's an additional requirement in this situation, and that is that the change must not be substantial. This is because there isn't an opportunity here to go back and reissue the tender notice. So this is similar to what we are used to under Regulation 72 of the PCR, isn't it? Yes, that's right. We would currently look at whether the change in the process would be considered substantial or not. The bill now sets out what a substantial change to the process would be. And this is one that would change the results of the selection stage. 
So effectively, this is looking at whether the change would impact on how the market responded to the procurement and the suppliers who are now participating in the process. The good news is that there is a lot in here that is familiar territory and covered under the PCR, such as permitted changes that are not substantial and de minimis. The Procurement Bill refers to permitted modifications to public contracts as falling into three categories. Firstly, those that are not substantial. Secondly, those that are below threshold. And finally, those that are set out in the new Schedule 8. These rules will apply to public contracts, those already subject to the legislation, and also to convertible contracts, This is a new concept and refers to a contract that becomes a public contract as a result of the modification. Oh, so if, for example, you have a below threshold contract, but the modification brings it above the threshold, this would now be subject to the modification rules as a convertible contract. Yes, that's right. I think this is helpful as we always felt that this was the case but it wasn't clearly laid down in the PCR. So at least there is clarity here now, but it does mean that more contracts will be potentially covered by these rules. So looking at the first category of permitted modifications, this is where the change is not substantial. A substantial modification would increase or decrease the contract term by more than 10%, or it would change the overall nature of the contract or materially change its scope, or it would materially change the economic balance of the contract in favour of the supplier. Ah, so that's similar to what we have at the moment under Regulation 72 of the PCR, although it's interesting it refers to the term of the contract increasing or decreasing, as term isn't expressly covered in the modifications under the PCR. Yes, I agree. It's useful that it gives guidance on permitted changes to the term of a contract as changes in duration are one of the most common and currently we would be trying to assess whether the length of the extension would be classed as significant or not. It's helpful to have a clearer set of rules but do you think the result might be that more changes are considered to be substantial as a result, Mary? Yes, I think that might be the case. Under the current rules, it may have been possible to argue that a decrease in the term or a longer increase would not be substantial, as it would not have affected the outcome of the procurement, potentially. But now it will be necessary to ensure any extension falls within these limits if the contracting authority wants to argue that the change is not substantial and is therefore permitted. Yes, I agree. The clarity here helps for certainty, but will perhaps prevent some changes now being permitted. So next up, we have permitted modifications that are below threshold modifications. These are for changes that would not increase or decrease the estimated value of the contract by more than 10% for goods or services or 15% for works. The total total value of the changes here also must not exceed the relevant threshold, although the language here is a bit hard to follow. This is similar to the de minimis rules we have currently under the PCR. 
Mary, do you want to go through the last set of permitted modifications? These are the ones that are listed in the new Schedule 8. Yes, we've got some new ones and some that are just nuances of the current legislation. The first one is familiar. A modification is a permitted one where its possibility was unambiguously provided for in the awarded contract and the tender or transparency notice for the award of that contract and it would not change the overall nature of the contract. That wording doesn't seem to be as prescriptive as its equivalent under the PCR. Yes, I agree. I think it's meant to be slightly more flexible, although there is increased need for transparency, as this has to be referred to in the tender notice and not just the procurement documents, as is currently the case. Another new permitted modification is one where its purpose could have been achieved through a direct award under the bill on the grounds of extreme and unavoidable urgency or to protect life. This is clearly to cover the scenario of a pandemic and reflects the awards that were made during the pandemic, I think. Yes, it's good to get a specific provision for this rather than trying to rely on a combination of the modification and direct award rules. Another familiar permitted modification is where the circumstances giving rise to it were unforeseeable by the contracting authority prior to award. This is subject to a 50% cap, as is currently under the PCR. Yes, that's worded in a very similar way to the current position with unforeseeable circumstances. I think the next one is quite interesting and is totally new this time. This is a modification where the contracting authority considers that a known risk has materialised, which means that the contract cannot now be performed to the satisfaction of the contracting authority. This one's also subject to the 50% cap. How is known risk defined? It's one that the contracting authority considered could jeopardise the satisfactory performance of the contract, but because of its nature, it couldn't be addressed in the contract as awarded. Again, this must have been identified in the tender or the transparency notice for the award of the contract. That's interesting. So the known risk has to have been foreseen from the outset, but its impact just couldn't be drafted or addressed in the contract at award stage. Yeah, that's right. So the new legislation is effectively covering three scenarios. Firstly, the known knowns, where you have to set out all of the detail up front. Then the known unknowns, where you have to set out what you predict might happen, but you don't have to know all the implications of this. And then the unknowns or the unforeseeable. This will be really important planning for contract managers and procurement practitioners in order to future-proof their contracts. The final two permitted modifications are also familiar territory. A modification is permitted where it provides for the supply of additional goods, services or works, where there would be issues of incompatibility, and also innovation or assignment following a corporate restructure or similar circumstance. Yes, those are nothing new, but the language in parts has been altered. One of the biggest changes to mention now is that there will be a requirement to publish details of the changes using a contract change notice. This applies before you make the change. Kat, does this apply to all changes? Yes, other than just a very few. So that's where the value is changed by less than 10% for goods or services, 15% for works, 
or where the term has been changed by less than 10%. So this is some of the lower value, lower duration changes. All the others will require a contract change notice. I think the other key point to stress is that as under the current legislation, it will be vital for contracting authorities to keep records of which permitted modifications they have relied on. This will be even more crucial given that contracting authorities will have to publish the modification details up front, and this might trigger potential challenges. So contracting authorities need to be ready with their clear arguments as to why the change is permitted. Yes, I see this as one of the biggest game changers under the new legislation, and procurement practitioners and contract managers are going to need to work together to ensure compliance here. Well, thank you, Cats, and thank you to listening to our podcast on the permitted modifications under the Procurement Bill. Please do listen to our other podcast in the series, taking you through the proposed changes, and refer to our website at catsticks.com for a summary of this podcast. Mm-hmm.